0: Leo Tolstoy, the Russian author of War and Peace, Anna Karenina, and the Death of Ivan Illich, once observed that all great literature is of one of two stories a man goes on a journey, or a stranger comes to town. Not every reader's experience of the books they might have read over a lifetime matches this description, but it does the book that we will be reading in the Divine Liturgy over the coming year, the Gospel of Luke. The stranger that comes to town is, of course, John the Baptist, whom Luke includes in the list of the famous and the infamous. In Luke's day, Tiberius would have been numbered among the famous. There were statues of him in Rome and a famous temple dedicated to him in Smyrna in Asia Minor. Even people who never traveled to Rome or had been to Asia Minor would have known about Tiberius for the very practical reason that his image was on all the coins that were used, like the gold drachma, which shows Tiberius wearing a crown of laurel leaves surrounded with the Latin inscription, Tiberius Caesar Divini Augusti Filii Augustus, or Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. It's more than likely that Luke's readers would have considered Pontius Pilate, Herod, Annas and Caiaphas among the names of the infamous as well, and that is chiefly, though not exclusively, because of the role they played in the death of Jesus of Nazareth. There are other names that Philip mentions, Philip, uh, or that Luke mentions, Philip of Eutyria and Lysanias of Abilene, are minor characters, and of course the Abilene that um, Lysanias was the tetrarch of is not the Abilene in Kansas. The last name on Luke's list, John the son of Zechariah, was either famous or infamous, depending on your view of history or theology. Herod Antipas and his wife Herodias were not big fans, as we already know. Likewise, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. John came preaching repentance, which was not a popular word in people's vocabulary then any more than it is today. The story of John the Baptist fits nicely with Tolstoy's description of a stranger who comes to town, because everything about John was strange, from the clothes he wore to the food he ate, grasshoppers dipped in honey, um, the place he lived, and the things he said. He was memorable enough that he's even mentioned, he's mentioned in all four Gospels, the Book of Acts, and the Antiquities of Josephus. Aside from his strange behavior and dress, there is another reason why John was a compelling figure. There is a Jewish tradition that says that in the last days before the coming of the Messiah, the prophet Elijah would return to blow the shofar, announcing the day of the Messiah's advent. So when John appeared out of the desert wilderness announcing the day of the Lord, there was hope and excitement that the ancient prophecies were about to be fulfilled. Those prophecies are familiar to anyone who has ever listened to the Messiah, popular concert at this time of year, written by uh, George Frederick Handel. Handel wrote the music, that is, but the Holy Spirit wrote the text. It is a meditation in musical form on the advent of Christ, taken entirely from the Old and New Testament. That is a lot of text, which is why it takes between two and a half and three hours to perform all three parts of the Messiah. Part one begins with the prophetic texts of Isaiah 41 to 5 that speak about the mysterious figure of the Messiah. And at the center of this section, the tenor, like a lone voice, crying in the amphitheater or the concert hall, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's the same passage that Luke uses at the end of this Sunday's Gospel to identify John the Baptist. He is the voice, Luke is saying, that cries in the wilderness, announcing the coming of the Messiah. So, This is where the other half of Tolstoy's theory of literature comes into play. If John is the stranger that comes to town, Jesus Christ is the man who goes on a journey, a journey that took him from the heart of the Trinitarian communion to the womb of the Virgin, But there another, longer journey he had to make over the course of the 33 years of his life, from his birth in Bethlehem at Christmas, his hidden years in Nazareth, and to his ultimate destination, the cross on Good Friday. Over the course of the coming year, Sunday by Sunday, we will hear St. Luke tell the story of this greater journey. In doing so, Luke will show how theology, which is the story of God in history, which is the story of Israel in microcosm, but the story of the human race, the story of us all in macrocosm, have come together in the incarnation of Jesus Christ to create an entirely new and very different story one told in a radical way of how God loves his creation to such an extent that to save it, he actually enters into it as one of his own creatures, thereby abolishing forever the distinction between what is sacred and secular. In Christ, the sacred becomes the ordinary, and the ordinary becomes the sacred. It is the theological equivalent of squaring the circle. This is the story we're preparing to hear on Christmas. This is what the Advent liturgy prepares us to do with the readings from the prophets and the Gospels that we're listening to. And we can listen to these passages as though they were a collection of fables and leave church this morning the same way we came in or we can learn how to live our lives within that larger story, the story of the salvation of the human race and the radical things that God does for us in Christ that Luke is really talking to us about. It is the story of Christ's saving life, death, and resurrection. And in the meantime, every liturgy we celebrate, John the Baptist will be there in the icon above the altar spruced up and made to look a little more civilized by the iconographer, pointing to Christ and reminding us that the key to Advent, in fact, the key to the whole life of a baptized Catholic, is that troublesome little verb, repent.